Hi. Hi. How's it going today? Super duper. Good. How are you? Good. Good. Welcome to the next episode of the Brio in the Box podcast. Glad to be here. <laughs> Thanks for being here in our house today. <laughs> uh, so today we thought we would talk about how CrossFit changed fitness, mm. changed the world of fitness. Yeah. It's changed a lot. It has. Um, in ways that I think are um, enormous, but underappreciated. And yeah. I think especially if you're like under 30, you might not even remember what the world of fitness and exercise was even like before CrossFit was a thing. Yeah. So we're going to go take a little journey back in time. Mm -hmm. Exercise as a thing, as a hobby, as a pursuit that people did is, is pretty new. Yeah. Right. Like a hundred years ago, nobody was like exercising on purpose. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> had active jobs or whatever. They just lived their lives. There was sports, right. But there was, there was no like, you know, I just work out to be healthy or whatever. Mm -hmm. People, People just, were just trying to survive and not die of tuberculosis. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Times were tough. <laughs> Times were tough. <laughs> um, and then you have somewhere around 100 years ago, kind of 1920s-ish, a very iconic character named Charles Atlas Yeah, is the first major one to promote exercising to create a particular physique. Yeah. He's credited with sort of coming up with the bodybuilder strategy or methodology, I guess. He was very big on isometric yeah. contract and hold type movements. Um, he was the one featured in a lot of like the original early magazines, like mm -hmm. bodybuilding culture, physical culture magazines and stuff. Back when the whole world was black and white, color had not yet been invented. <laughs> then you get to like the 1950s, you got like Jack LaLanne, right? TV's now a thing. He yeah. was promoting like physical fitness and exercise in that like post-World War II era. Yeah. And his whole thing, television. his whole thing was... Like anybody can do this and, mm -hmm. you know, do you have a chair? Cool. We're going to work out using your chair, you know, like sit and be fit and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So he brought it like into mainstream culture and like through the TV into people's living rooms. Yeah. Jack Lillian, big promoter of like healthy living, not so much the physique bodybuilding style stuff, but more from like a, just a healthy living right. approach. Then you get into the seventies. It's like now the next generation of the bodybuilders and yeah. you get into like the seventies big, like Arnie, you know, <laughs> and they're like muscle beach, like Venice beach, California kind yeah. of thing, like big dudes. And they were really starting to like push the limits of the sport. And you know, that's when steroids started to come out and be heavily mm -hmm. used and abused. And these guys were, were definitely pushing beyond health and fitness and more <laughs> just like the pursuit of size and yeah. aesthetics. And as it went on through the 80s and 90s, it got way more extreme. So then yeah. you get into like the Ronnie Coleman, Mr. Olympia era where these yeah. guys are just monsters. They're, They're like, like 300 pounds and 2% body fat kind of stage. Yeah, it's They're just enormous. So freaks. it became more of like a where Charles Atlas started with just like generally looking good for the average man. Mm -hmm. You know, 70 years later, it got to be like ridiculously freakish size. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's all the magazines that go along with it muscle and fitness and bodybuilder magazine, those kinds of things. Yeah. Somewhere in there too. So bodybuilding went into like a very extreme, very niche direction. Yeah. In the seventies, jogging became a, a pastime, mm -hmm. a hobby for people. It was never a thing before. No one trying to just grow enough food and live on a farm was ever like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go <laughs> run around. <laughs> I'm going to go chase the pigs for a while. At a slow pace for two hours. Nobody ever had to do that before. <laughs> but like, heart disease was becoming a thing. Like health was declining for people and everyone was just scrambling to figure out like mm -hmm. why and what was happening and what you needed to do to not die of a heart attack. Turned out you needed to not smoke four packs a day. <laughs> that was the big problem. Doctor recommended. The doctor, <laughs> doctor smokes menthols. 
Um, and then you get into the eighties and like fitness for women becomes a thing. And it's like the Jane Fonda style aerobics, step aerobics. I fully remember watching this show on like channel 10 cable, whatever, um, broadcast from, it was outside in a park in Victoria. And I hope somebody as old as me remembers this. Do you remember this? No, No, not at all. Of course you don't. And it was like the three women doing aerobics outside on the grass in front of the ocean from Victoria. I I mean, there was tons of those things. I think every city had its own local aerobics girl who had a TV show of some sort. And yeah. Yeah. So that was like hot pants or whatever they're called. (laughs) Uh, The leggings with your underwear on the outside of your pants for some reason. The leotard thing. The leg warmers, the headbands. Yeah. So that became a whole culture in itself so you kind of had the thing (laughs) the men doing bodybuilding weightlifting the women were relegated to just this you know cardio aerobics type of silliness yeah somewhere in there too nautilus the nautilus machines became a thing like 80s 90s so then you had these big machines isolated single joint yeah movement so you got like your seated like chest press you got your seated Yes, no machine thing. <laughs> yes, no machine. Yeah. Open, closed. <laughs> yes, no, yes, no. Um, that was a weird time because uh, it took what, what was usually pretty easily done with dumbbells or a barbell or whatever, and now you needed a $5,000 machine specifically for your biceps, and then you needed another 5000 machine specifically for your triceps, and it just sort of turned to this, like, massive gym warehouse kind of thing right Mm -hmm. where unless you had a million dollars to invest in equipment you didn't have the right you know startup to get a gym going so it really changed the way people looked at Mm -hmm. the way gyms operated yeah so then the format of the the fitness business became Mm -hmm. you need a huge amount of square feet you need millions of dollars of specialized pieces of equipment yeah then your business model is sell as many memberships as you can and hope that no one shows up yeah (laughs) right you basically like just having the space, getting recurring payments going and trying not to have anybody actually ever show up. Yeah. <laughs> ideally. I remember going to a f- Ursa, the fitness thing, when we were first looking at starting a gym and they had these super cool machines everywhere. And there was this, remember the panel system where it was like a wall and there's a TV on the like wall system and it was this like super slick looking like pulley system. And each piece was like $10,000 and you could get a five piece full setup. So it was like $50,000 for these five different cable pulley machine things with a TV built in. And now it's like, you can fully stock a CrossFit gym for Mm $50,000 for, you know, 15 people. Whereas that one sort of machine setup that you can have maybe four or five people working on at tops, like it's bananas. Yeah, it is silly. So around the turn of the century, the state of fitness of exercise was big, huge bodybuilding bros. Yeah cardio jogging and aerobics and like sort of what do we call it average gym goer isolated machines yeah um you're doing your 10 to 15 reps and to be honest it's pretty boring yeah very time inefficient and fairly ineffective nobody was really getting very fit yeah doing their seated whatever movements so greg glassman was a former competitive gymnast Mm -hmm. He was, you know, when he was a gymnast, was fooling around with different ways of creating his own conditioning programs to, you know, for the high intensity routines that he had to do. He was a ring man. Yeah. That they said. Um, And then he becomes a trainer later on. And he, you know, that kind of personality where he's like, he challenges the status quo and what he, one of the the famous stories. So there's a guy named Mark Allen, who was a um, triathlete, Ironman triathlete. 
Mark Allen is on the cover of Outside Magazine around the late 90s, early 2000s as the fittest man on earth. And Greg Glassman had seen Mark Allen in person in a gym fail a 95-pound bench press. And Greg went, how the fuck are we calling this guy that got stuck under a 95-pound barbell the fittest man on earth? Greg is like, something is wrong here. And so he's like, He's like, we got to define what fittest means. He's like, what are we meaning when we say that word? And so he goes kind of looking around like National Strength and Conditioning Association, NSCA. No actual definition of fitness. You looked it up. What was it? Webster's Dictionary defines fitness as the state or quality of being fit. Great. (laughs) Real helpful, right? So he kind of, you know, he goes looking around some of the physiology, exercise physiology textbooks and the Strength and Conditioning Associations and all these like professional scientific things are concerning themselves with creating programs to build fitness with no working definition of what fitness even means. So everybody's working from different definitions or no definition of bodybuilders think fitness is looking a certain way. Runners think fitness is being able to run a certain distance without getting too tired. Yeah. I don't know what aerobics people are thinking. Fitness is cute in your (laughs) unitard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're very fit. You look very cute in your outfit. Okay. So Greg's, major, major thing that he did for the world of fitness was he defined what fitness is. Right. And his definition of fitness is work capacity across broad time and modal domains. So work capacity, how much work can you accomplish in short periods of time, long periods of time, and doing different things, Mm -hmm. running, jumping, throwing, climbing, lifting, dragging, carrying. And Greg's dad was a mathematician. So he takes a very mathematical measurement to it. He's like, I can graph these things. I can graph the time and the work completed, and we can make a bunch of points on this graph, and we're going to come up with a curve, and your fitness is the area under the curve, you know, at all these different times and doing all these different things. Right. And so now we have a working definition of fitness that is measurable, and base, it's all based around power, mm-hmm. right? So he takes a basic engineering definition of power, weight or force times distance divided by time. So weight times distance is the work, time is how long it takes, how much work you get done in a defined amount of time or how long it takes you to do a certain amount of work. And we have now a working definition of what is fitness. Right. And so from there, he starts to tinker with, well, what are the things that are uniquely good at creating fitness? Yeah. And that's where functional movements come in. Mm -hmm. So functional movements um, have been seen in the past, right? Like just doing work in in a yard is, is being functional, right? But then there was things like Olympic weightlifting and gymnastics that would use these movements that were, you know, core to extremity and multi-joint compound exercises and, you know, did a good job of moving large loads long distances quickly, um, but they just were separate, unique, individual things. So mm-hmm. he started just pulling in all these functional movements from different, um, you know, methodologies, different sports, and bringing them all into one sort of mm-hmm. unit. Because he's basically like, and CrossFit still is, is it unique in its ability to create fitness? Cool. Bring it in. Yeah. If it works, we want it. We'll steal it. We'll put it in the program. Yeah. Functional movements. Also a big buzzword with not a real good definition until Greg said, we're going to put some parameters around what functional means. Yeah. Is it the thing that you stand on and it just shakes the fat <laughs> off of you? I don't think so. Yeah. It's super functional. <laughs> it's super functional. <laughs> so a few characteristics of functional movements. They move large loads, long distances quickly. They're yeah. unique in their ability to generate power. Mm-hmm. They're, they follow universal motor recruitment patterns. They move in a core to extremity fashion. They start 
at the core with the big movers and they radiate out to the extremities. Think of everything athletic, throwing a baseball, doing a high jump, sprinting, everything's core to extremity. Um, they're compound multi-joint movements. So instead of like single joint isolated shoulder raises and stuff you're using your behind the body. back wrist curls that's the best <laughs> <was> the <laughs> remember those yeah. oh it's still happening it's just we're yeah. not in the globo gym to see it's it happening. Fine. Do, what it's you, still a thing. do what you love you know yeah. um and so then as he went searching for things that are unique in their ability to create fitness crossfit incorporated like another way that crossfit changed fitness was the incorporation of i would say olympic weightlifting mm-hmm. was huge yeah and gymnastics. Yeah. If you look back at the old school, like videos of gym class back in the day, it was mostly gymnastics with a bit of a like military type uh, level of like cardio type stuff, right? They would have P bars in a gymnasium in a high school and they would have rings and they would have mats and they would do like calisthenic type mm-hmm. movements. And then that all sort of got replaced by the machines because those were supposed to be better because they were the newest technology. And Olympic lifting was a dying sport. Mm-hmm. In s- North America, In North America, yeah. yeah. Much bigger in, you know, other countries. But here, it was a dying sport, for sure. There was, prior to CrossFit, I think I read at one point that there was less than 5,000 athletes competing in Olympic weightlifting. Yeah. And when you compare that to, like, a small town will have 5,000 football <laughs> players, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. not even close. So that was a very, Olympic weightlifting was a very niche thing that most people, honestly, had not even heard of. Yeah. So the incorporation of Olympic lifting revolutionized fitness in that it brought the clean and jerk and the snatch to an average person Mm -hmm. that, you know, it was no longer reserved for just specialist, like wannabe Olympians. (laughs) I'm going to take an opportunity here to uh, shit on Jillian Michaels. I knew it. (laughs) I was thinking the same thing. I knew you were going to say it. I was like, should I say it? No, I'm going to say it. You were thinking it. I'm going to say it. Uh, um, one of Jillian Michael's many criticisms of CrossFit, clearly I'm not a fan that lady, um, was <laughs> that no one other than elite athletes should be doing Olympic weightlifting. And I'm like, what? Like what kind of gatekeeper bullshit is that? That yeah. people shouldn't even be allowed to learn the basic techniques of these movements that it's like, what's a power clean. It's just how you're going to lift anything heavy to your shoulder. No yeah. one other than elite athletes should be allowed to even learn it. Give me a break. Yeah. It's silly. Just so you know, everybody, Jillian Michaels does not believe in you. <laughs> she thinks you are incapable of learning Olympic weightlifting because you are not an uh, elite athlete. Because <laughs> none of us are Olympians. Prove her wrong. <laughs> Here we go. Screw Jillian. And so now <laughs> Olympic weightlifting has certainly had a, a resurgence, a renaissance um, in North America, especially thanks to CrossFit introducing it to more people. Um, especially on the women's side of sport, you mm-hmm. know, there was, you know, football and stuff. You might learn to do a power clean. There's certain sports where if you have a good strength and conditioning coach, they're going to teach you those movements. Um, but women's athletics in particular, like you had to get to a very high level and a very small number of sports to even have anyone introduce you to a barbell period, yeah. let alone the Olympic lift. So yeah. I think that was super cool. That really changed fitness. And now you see those movements as just like part of regular. Yeah fitness magazines and routines and stuff, even outside of CrossFit. Yeah. And then gymnastics too. But like you said, gymnastics was a core part of, of physical fitness training, like a high school, you know, boys gym class in Mm -hmm. the forties or fifties would have incorporated all those movements. And then it kind of got lost. Yeah. CrossFit, as far as I know, is the only strength and conditioning program that really incorporates a lot of gymnastics. Any of the like higher level stuff for sure. And it's funny to say high level because according to a gymnast, what we do is very basic, <laughs> yeah. but you know, 
and there's plenty of programs that do like push-ups and sit-ups and air squats and those are all considered gymnastics movements but crossfit is one of the few that does rings and you know handstand push-ups and rope climbs and stuff like that mm-hmm. um and then there's that next level which is like the calisthenics guys who are literally trying to do the like high level gymnast movements mm-hmm. bar stars yeah shout out to those guys if you look <laughs> them up on youtube they have tons of cool stuff oh, man. and they're just like bodyweight calisthenics guys that do crazy cool stuff on like playground equipment yeah it's super so cool it's like kind of like gymnasty but more freestyle super neat to watch yeah. um so yeah i think like the incorporation of Olympic weightlifting and gymnastics into an average person's exercise routine was really revolutionary for sure in the world of fitness. So then Glassman's goofing around, finds these movements that are good at creating fitness at increasing work capacity across broad time and modal domain. And he's playing around with like how to structure programs, how many days per week to train, you know, how to combine the movements, volume and that kind of stuff. And what he stumbles on, that is the independent variable is what intensity intensity training at intensity becomes the thing. Yeah. So in amongst all these movements, you could do CrossFit, but if it has no intensity, it's not going to create work capacity across broad time and modal domains. He discovers that intensity is the independent variable most commonly associated with increasing the rate of return of favorable adaptation. Yeah. That's the mouthful, the actual definition there. (laughs) Um, and then, so he starts playing with things that are good at getting people to work in intensity. Yeah. One of them is mixing things up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We've talked a lot or we've talked in the past about like programming stuff. If you do, you know, a chest day and you're just doing like bench press mm-hmm. and then pec deck or whatever, and then push ups, it's like you just reach fatigue and those muscles have used up all of their energy and they have to rest and recover. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you rest and start to recover, your intensity drops down. So he would mix in different body parts to have a push and a pull so that while you're pushing your pull is sort of resting and then while you're pulling your push is sort of resting and allows you to move from one movement to another without taking breaks or ideally without (laughs) taking breaks uh, and allows you to keep a higher intensity because you're moving consistently classic example is fran yeah squat and press coupled with pulling and your pull-ups yeah thrusters and pull-ups together it's one of it's the highest intensity in terms of power output People doing a fast fran at like two-ish minutes are outputting almost a horsepower power yeah. output for those two minutes. That's pretty good for a human. Yeah. Have you seen a horse? <laughs> <laughs> those things are huge. Um, so yeah, mixing things up like complementary movement patterns. That's a hallmark of CrossFit style workouts. Not to say that we don't do interference style workouts. Yeah. The very first hero workout ever posted. CrossFit trivia. Do you know what it was? The very first hero workout? Hero workout ever posted. It was posted. Uh, JT. JT, yeah. which is all pushing movements, ring dips, handstand pushups, pushups, which is hard in its own way because it's all about muscle stamina, but it lacks intensity because you're just just spending most of the time shaking your arms out. Yeah, there are people out there that can do it unbroken quickly and you'll get some sort of like cardio stimulus from that. But for Mm -hmm. most of us, we drag it out over, you know, 10 or 15 minutes and it's a much slower process. You know, you're never really out of breath. You're always just, yeah, like you said, shaking out your arms. (laughs) Yeah waiting for the blood to get back in there. So those are the 10% of CrossFit workouts. So the 90% of them are yeah. complementary mixed modality movement patterns. Yeah. Um, something else that was very, I want to say revolutionary to the idea of exercise at the time was keeping score. Yeah. I think that, you know, body lifters and power lifters and weightlifters, they would always have their weights and their reps and stuff like that. But 
they didn't really have any kind of time. You know, maybe mm-hmm. they would rest a certain amount of time between their sets, but they weren't timing the training session or whatever, right? Um, I remember seeing one <laughs> training montage of this one like super heavyweight uh, weightlifter guy, and it basically showed him how often he's just leaning on things. <laughs> <laughs> I love and it's like 99% of his training day is him leaning on stuff. He's just this <laughs> monster guy. Like he's super big and strong as hell, but spends a lot of time resting. Yeah. So not a lot of intensity. <laughs> yeah. So keeping score, what became a hallmark of CrossFit. And that's, this is where CrossFit brought in some ideas of sport mm-hmm. into an average person's exercise routine. So a person that is not otherwise an athlete playing a sport, but took this idea of of training and a little bit of competitiveness and keeping score and looking for improvements over time because we're measuring what fitness is. We would like to see measurable improvements in your work capacity across broad time and modal domains. For sure. So keeping score is a big thing. And I think, you know, we've talked about this before, but you know, a lot of people don't care about the score and that's great. It's not about the scores. It's not about the numbers. It's about that sense of urgency to like maintain intensity. You know, Mm -hmm. if you just casually do Fran over the course of 20 minutes, your intensity is going to be zero and it's not going to do anything. But mm-hmm. if you push the pace and like, you know, try to go as fast as you can, then that's where you get the the intended response. Yeah. And then things that were good at helping people work at intensity, keeping score is one thing. And then training in groups, yeah. training with other people. Which you would think like a lot of people when they first start, that's the most intimidating thing, right? Is they're so focused on, oh, everybody's going to be watching me. It's like, no, you clearly have never done CrossFit <laughs> before because everybody's going to be too tired to be watching. <laughs> there is something about training as a team, that group dynamic that just pushes people to, you know, keep going, finish the workouts, you know, cheer each other on. It's just, that's where a lot of the magic is. Mm-hmm. You do have in your brain something called mirror neurons, which means as humans, we like to do what the people around us are doing. We're highly social animals. Monkey see, monkey do. Monkey see, monkey do, literally. And so if you're in an environment of other people working at intensity, you're just naturally going to want to do what the people around you are doing, which is also work at intensity. If everyone's working super hard, and and what that means to each person is different, but everyone's working at their high intensity, and you're just like, la, la, la. You have a, an internal like conflict sense of like, I'm not doing what the group is doing. Mm-hmm. So it's not that anyone else is looking at you and being judgmental. It's just that you gain from being around other people working hard. Yeah. And we've seen in classes, if you have one like real stud athlete in that class, the average time in that class will be faster mm-hmm. than if you have, you know, a, a class that just got out of bed and everybody's <laughs> sleepy and nobody's really there to try that hard that morning. You know, it's like, it's a significant difference. It really is interesting. It's an interesting phenomenon that you and I have, have observed repeatedly. Yeah. Of if you coach like five or six different classes in a day and you throw one fire breather into a class, like you just said, the average time of the whole class goes up. Yeah. Like, hmm, interesting. Yeah. You, know, you kind of need one of those in every class. Um, so now like those are things that are taken for granted. If you think of the number of CrossFit copycat type businesses, yeah, I would say the majority of them are training in groups. That's like a huge, yeah, a huge thing. So where before exercise was generally an individual pursuit, you, you know, you would go for your run by yourself. You would, you know, go to an aerobics class, but it wasn't like a community type thing. You weren't there to interact or talk to anybody else. It was just the instructor with the headset. You followed along and then you left. Yeah. Kind of thing. Um, and even like, you know, you might have your gym bros that you went and trained with, but in general it's kind of an individual pursuit. So one other than work, yeah, one person's working at a time, you're spotting each other, like yeah. whatever you're not. 
So other than playing team sports, which most people are done doing by the time they're done university, there was no other like community group team training kind of stuff happening. Yeah. So then Greg's got this thing that's working pretty well. He's training like some triathletes. He's training the women's downhill ski team. He's training some other um, MMA fighters, that kind of stuff. And people are just like, hey man, like what are you doing in your gym? It's really working. And so they... 2001 crossfit.com starts posting the workout of the day the wad on crossfit.com they just put it out there for free yeah people started following it as these little like grassroots movement sort of pockets of people all over the world following these crazy workouts crossfit would post videos of what the movements were people would post their times in the comment section i remember doing that in the early days yeah 2004 i believe crossfit starts doing um seminars to like teach their methodology, CrossFit level one seminars. And then they start the affiliate model. So then you can come and take a CrossFit seminar and then you can open a CrossFit affiliate gym. So mm-hmm. the affiliate model is yet another way that CrossFit really changed fitness. Yeah. Yeah. For the long time there, it was, if you wanted to open a gym, you needed half a million dollars or more to get set up and buy all the equipment and mm-hmm. you needed 5,000 members to pay for it and all that. And CrossFit came along and it's like, hey, can you scramble a few thousand dollars together to buy some barbells and pull-up bars? Because that's all you need, Mm -hmm. you know? And then they took, so if you were a trainer, you worked in a Globo gym. Yeah. You got paid by the hour. You were under a heavy amount of pressure to just sell more personal training packages. You were training people on all these stupid, like Nautilus, single joint movement machines and stuff. And then not getting paid that well. So then you take the trainer out of that fancy gym put them in something much more bare bones mm-hmm. and they actually become better trainers yeah. that are more effective at creating fitness for people Yeah, because they have less equipment. So they have to do more functional movements to get more creative with the programming. Um, so it actually like by taking away all of this fancy expensive stuff, it actually made everything way more effective. Yeah. And Greg used to say, instead of, you know, if you want to open a gym, you don't need to be in a premium spot, like in a strip mall or whatever. Like you can be in an industrial area and if you're good, people will travel to you to, to go, you know, like people travel to Costco at Costco doesn't have to be on every corner or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you make yourself worth it, they'll, they'll make the trip. If you build it, they will come. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's what he would say in the early days. He's like, people will drive past five other gyms to come to your gym. If it's yeah. the most fun and the most effective and you know, people yeah. like the community. They also, in the affiliate model, it's not a franchise. Mm -hmm. So Greg's a very like free market, libertarian capitalism kind of guy. We get a ton of freedom from CrossFit HQ in the way we get to run an affiliate. There's almost no rules whatsoever. And they're very much of the mindset that like, if it's good, the market will support it. And if it's bad, you'll go out of business. (laughs) You know, for sure. There's no territory rules. Somebody could open a CrossFit gym right next door to you. And guess what? If they're doing it better than you, they deserve to stay in business and you don't. Mm-hmm. That's the idea is, you know, put up or shut up kind of thing. If, <laughs> if what you're doing is good, the market will support it. Yeah. And so it really forced people to do a good job, obviously, and add their own like flavor to it. So it wasn't just like a gold's gym and it's just like a cookie cutter replica, replica, yeah. replica. Um, it had very little format whatsoever. Yeah. And it's great for people like us that want that sort of freedom and take full advantage to do things the way we do things. And mm-hmm. it's, it's you know pluses and minuses. It yeah. sucks if you're in the area 
of a CrossFit affiliate gym that is not doing a good job yep. because we're all sharing the same brand name. So that yep. sucks a little bit. Um, not the average consumer doesn't realize that all CrossFit gyms are very different. Yeah, I know. And that's, that's definitely disconcerting when, when you go to a different CrossFit gym, you're like, ah, shit, this one's, this one's not doing what we're doing. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not a fan. And I mean, I'm sure they have plenty of people that like what they're doing and that's great. But yeah, to share the, the name can be tough. Yeah. And then changing the, the business model approach from selling thousands of cheap memberships and hoping no one shows up to selling yeah. maybe a hundred to 200 way more expensive memberships and wanting everybody to show up. Yeah. Knowing all your members by name, building a community, something that people feel like they're part of. And then I think we've talked about this before. We do zero advertising. Our members are our advertisements. If yeah. what we're doing is effective, a couple hundred people walking around in Saskatoon being very fit and happy and healthy, that's our business card. That's our advertisements yeah. right there. And so it's only good for us if people show up and get the results. <laughs> right? Yeah. I don't want someone's money if they're not going to show up and get fitter. You, to get fitter, you have to show up. Yep. So it changed the business model. And I, I would say the price is closer to the personal training end of things because that's more of the service that you're getting yeah. than it is to the, you know, pay me 10 bucks a month and come and use the equipment by yourself. Yeah, equipment thing. rental and that's it. Yeah, maybe use the sauna. <laughs> if they have a sauna. <laughs> Those $10 a month ones usually. Probably no sauna, <laughs> the $10 a month one, yeah. Fit for 10 or whatever. Yeah, so... CrossFit defined fitness yeah. as a, as something separate as work capacity, something entirely separate from aesthetics, whether it was just the trying to be skinny Jane Fonda thing or trying to be a giant muscle beach guy. Yeah. Defined fitness as what your body could do, not what it looked like. Yeah. Um, and, and that fitness involved a lot more than just being able to run really slow for a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and made it just like a thing that normal people should and could do. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not just about the CrossFit games. That is another level that we test the theories and the practice and everything. But anybody can just be fit and be healthy and measure their fitness and, and see results um, using what Greg came up with. Yeah. And brought complex yet very effective modalities of fitness to the average person. Mm -hmm. Olympic weightlifting, gymnastics especially. Yeah. Um, promotion of intensity as the independent variable I think was really lacking in almost every style of exercise. Yeah. There were certain sports where athletes, obviously like sprinters and stuff had to do for that, sure. but exercise for the average person completely lacked intensity. Yeah. Um, keeping score. That's a huge part of CrossFit. Yeah. With the, with the competition day to day being you versus your former self or you versus your tomorrow self, right? Yeah. It's just you versus you, but keeping score is super important. Commun training, training in groups. Yeah. Community driven fitness. Yeah. Big time. Giving people, and I, th I think it as a secondary benefit in the world, the way it is now where we're like hyper-connected, but actually really lonely, mm -hmm. um, having something, having like a physical community of people that you see in real life, um, really fulfills a, a major human need. For sure. So whether you get that from a CrossFit gym or, you know, your workplace or a church community or a sports, whatever it is, like you just, you have to be connected to yeah. other human beings. Yeah. And then the affiliate model, professionalization of the trainer, uh, created a way for a personal trainer to like build a business, build a career, build something, build a community. Yep. It, you know, for better or for worse, use the free market approach as opposed to a um, franchise style approach. Yep. And then the membership model, way less people and we want everyone to show up. Now they, now they call that boutique fitness, right? Oh yes. Boutique fitness. Boutique fitness. 
And there's tons of CrossFit ripoffs now. <laughs> tons of them. There are tons of them. There's yep. a ton of them. Yeah. So there's something that it's the evolution of new ideas. Yeah. And it follows a pattern called false trivial obvious. And it's something I keep in mind all the time. Anytime there's a new scientific advancement or a new idea or a new prevailing theory, at first, the established people will, the first impulse is to be like, well, that's not true. That's yeah. false. So in the early days, CrossFit was very controversial yeah. because it went completely against the way people were training. It went completely against what the exercise physiologists in the lab were doing or recommending. So people were like, well, CrossFit, well, that's not going to work. That's stupid. It's not going to work. And then a few years later, when it clearly was working, it was clearly making some very high level fit people. They're like, well, okay, so maybe it works, but like nobody's going to want to train like that. Like it's too hard or worse. It's unsafe. Right. That was the next thing they said. Like, yeah, it works, but super dangerous. Yeah. And then as the data came out, it went like, oh, actually it's super effective and it's safer than all this other recreational stuff that people are doing. Yeah. Then people went like, well, of course this is the way you should train. That's obvious. And that's, we knew that all along. Yeah. <laughs> you know? My favorite was in the early days when, you know, we would be training our CrossFit style and then people would come to us and be like, well, I used to train at this place and they don't do CrossFit. And then they would talk about the type of stuff they did. And it was CrossFit. They just didn't call it CrossFit. They were just totally ripping off me like, no, we don't do CrossFit. We don't believe in, in what they're doing. But then they would do the exact same stuff. You know, they just, they didn't call the thing Fran and they didn't, you know, yep. do whatever, but it was like, they were totally ripping off with the stuff that you know, CrossFit was doing. Mm -hmm. It's like, and now it's to the point where I think there's just clearly a lot of different versions of what we're doing and they all have their own little like you know it's crossfit without the barbells or it's crossfit without the whatever it's like okay so it's not crossfit mm -hmm. but it's just watered down less effective crossfit yeah but what, oh we just work out together but we don't keep score oh, okay so it's less effective crossfit yeah oh we don't do barbells oh, okay so it's less effective crossfit yeah <laughs> watered down crappy crossfit everybody's trying to get their piece of the pie mm -hmm. in that trivial stage when people were really trying to cut down why crossfit was um, not only going to be like not a thing, but also was dangerous. The NSCA national strength and conditioning association published false data mm -hmm. in a scientific journal showing that CrossFit was dangerous when it wasn't. Yeah. Um, and that went all the way through the court system. CrossFit sued the journal of strength and conditioning. Um, the, the journal article was retracted. The NSCA, this is unfortunate the way it played out it was a huge thing and CrossFit was about to be very much vindicated when, um, the, in 2020, when Greg got canceled <laughs> and Eric Rosa took over, one of the first things Eric Rosa did was settle that case and signed an NDA. Yeah. So unfortunately we were on the vert, the hearing was supposed to have been earlier in 2020. It got delayed due to COVID. And then that summer of 2020, when the shit hit the fan, that was one of the unfortunate collateral damage things that yeah. happened was it never saw the light of day, but it was being settled in CrossFit's favor. It to the tune of millions of dollars wow. that CrossFit got out of that settlement because the data was entirely falsified because these people were so threatened mm -hmm. by the effectiveness of CrossFit. They scrambled to come up with fake data to show that it was dangerous <laughs> when it wasn't. So. Trivial. It was brutal. Yeah. So this is false, trivial, obvious. This is an article from Bruce Charlton in a journal called Medical Hypotheses in 2008. I'm going to just read it because I think it's great. An old joke about the response to revolutionary new scientific theory states that there are three phases on the road to acceptance. One, the theory is not true. Two, the theory is true, but it's unimportant. Three, the theory is true and it is important, but we knew it all along. 
The point of this joke is that according to scientific theorists, new theories are never properly appreciated. The false phase happens because a defining feature of a revolutionary theory is that it contradicts the assumptions of already existing mainstream theory. The second trivial phase follows from a preliminary analysis which suggests that the new idea is not in fact contradicted by the major existing evidence, but the new theory seems unimportant because its implications do not seem to lead anywhere interesting when explored in the light of the current theory. A stronger version of the second phase happens when the implications of a theory are regarded as not merely unimportant, but actually dangerous, which is what happened with CrossFit, because a scientific revolution is certainly destructive, especially of established reputations, mm. i.e. all these guys in an exercise physiology lab for years doing completely ineffective, unimportant work, yet its potential benefits are conjectural. However, once a new and revolutionary theory is in place, its importance is obvious, such that it becomes hard to imagine how anybody could have ever believed anything else. Theory for scientists is like water for fish, the invisible medium in which they swim. Observations and experiments, on the other hand, are like toys in the fish tank. New toys are attention-grabbing, but when the tank gets cloudy, its water needs changing. So CrossFit changed the water. There you go. There we go. All right. Anything else you would like to add? Um, I guess it's important to note that for a while there, Greg Glassman took a lot of heat and think what you will about all the stuff that happened but i think it's important to you know look past that and and see what he did contribute and he did make a positive impact and change the way all of us live our lives mm -hmm. and that's that's something that you know should not be forgotten i feel like we in general as humans we need to worship ideas and yeah, not people for sure people are flawed people suck yeah. people have their problems and if we can separate an idea that comes out of a flawed human yeah. from the flawed human itself and take the idea and worship, you know, the idea rather than like icons of humans, um, I think that gets us to a better place. So yeah, yeah certainly Greg was not a man without his any <laughs> faults, but came up with some yeah. incredibly revolutionary things that changed the way most of us live our lives now yeah. too. So absolutely, the, both of those things can be true. Yeah. Both of those things can exist together. For sure. Cool. Awesome. All right. See you in the next one. See you guys.